0: Hello, and welcome to the sermons of Our Saviour Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. I'm Pastor Joshua Curtenbach, and today we are observing the Feast of All Saints. Our reading comes from the Revelation to St. John, the 7th chapter. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands... And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honour, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know This is the word of the Lord. Our sermon was recorded previously at our divine service. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our first reading from the Revelation to St. John, there is a glorious picture presented to the evangelist. It must have surprised him He might have even asked himself silently, Who are they? For not long after they appear, one of the elders in the vision comes to him and asks him, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? On this day that we observe all saints, these questions will likewise guide us this morning. Who are these clothed in white robes? Just before this part of the vision, John had been shown a picture of Israel arranged tribe by tribe, arranged for marching like they were during the time of the exodus in the wilderness, being sealed by angels with the seal of God. This was a picture of the church militant, of the church here on earth. She is militant because we, her members, are constantly struggling against the devil, the world, and sinful flesh. She is arranged tribe by tribe for marching because this current world is not our eternal home, but is temporary and passing. Who, then, is this second group, this great multitude that no one could number? from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands this is a vision of the church triumphant at the end of the world a vision of the church which has entered her eternal rest a vision of a vision to comfort us in the church militant and to give us hope as we continue on our difficult pilgrimage. The vision that John sees shows the people of God finally all gathered together after the resurrection and now in their eternal and glorious rest. It is the church celebrating the salvation of God and the victory of his Christ over sin, death, and the devil. It is the church freed from persecution and troubles As Christ Jesus has come and finally executed vengeance, he has come and finally executed on the evil the judgment which is written. The Church is spared from this judgment due to her trust in Christ, her head, and the forgiveness of sins which comes by faith in Christ. Thus the Church celebrates the victory of God. This is demonstrated both by the song of praise and thanksgiving to God when they sing, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Victory in celebration is also seen in the palm branches that they hold. In the Old Testament, palms were associated with the Feast of Booths, as the palm branches were used to create a living roof of these booths the time when Israel remembered God's leading them through the wilderness after rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. It was also a time of thanksgiving. In this time, after the prophets have ceased to speak, palm branches were used by the crowd as a sign of thanksgiving, victory, and celebration when Simon Maccabeus had driven out the pagan rulers of Jerusalem and was now entering the city triumphantly. In the New Testament, the people of Jerusalem likewise welcomed our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he entered the city triumphantly on the way to his death to save us from our sins and the wrath of God which is due because of them. Yet this picture of the church triumphant is more than just a one-dimensional image. Instead, it's more like a brilliantly cut diamond that shows more and more, and throws more light, as you turn and look at it. For not only do we see the Church in victory, but we also see the Church depicted as the children of Abraham. In the vision of the saints of God, the Bride of Christ, we see a great multitude, which no one could number. Where else do we see this sort of language but in God's blessing of Abraham? I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Who can count the stars? Who can count the grains of sand along the sea? Such is the church, for the church consists of those who are the children of Abraham. And these children of Abraham are not only of the nation of Israel, of the those descended from Abraham through Isaac and then Jacob, but from people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Christ our Lord does not discriminate. He died for all, and he wills that his gospel be proclaimed to all nations, that they would hear and believe as God promised Abraham, in your seed, that is, in Christ, the chosen seed of Abraham, shall all nations of the earth be blessed. The children of Abraham includes sons and daughters from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, because a child of Abraham is not made by blood, but by faith. For the righteous shall live by faith. And as Saint Paul says, it is of faith who are the sons of Abraham. For no one, no matter where they are from, it does not matter. Because it is faith which justifies, which makes one a child of Abraham, which makes one's share in the blessings and future and hope promised to the children of Abraham. This leads us to another facet of those who are wearing these white robes. They are those who have been justified by faith. Their white robes represent the righteousness of Christ which has been imputed to them. White because they have been forgiven of all of their sins and possess Christ's righteousness so that for his sake they are accounted righteous, just as Abraham believed and it was credited as righteousness. These white robes represent the salvation and imputed righteousness which Isaiah prophesied of when he said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Because of our own sinful nature, we cannot produce the perfect righteousness required by God, but by God's grace we are justified by faith and have the righteousness of Christ. So when the elder says they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, he teaches John and us that it is only by the blood of christ which he shed on the cross as the lamb of god our propitiatory sacrifice to take away sins that our sins are forgiven and that we are cleansed they are said to have washed their robes because by god's gracious working of salvation in them they have held to christ by repentance and faith and have received from him by faith, the cleansing power of the blood of Christ by means of word and sacrament. And so, from where then has this great crowd come? The elder answers, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Today when we hear the term great tribulation, often our mind goes to those last evil days before the end, when the church's tribulation is greater than at all other times previously yet the language that the elder uses these are the ones coming out in the present tense speaks instead to the whole church as she comes out through tribulation into rest throughout the prophetic time of revelation which is that from christ's ascension to his coming again Thus, this picture is of comfort not only for those who live in the last days, but also for all Christians, for we who live as if we are living in the last days. For this is how our Lord has told us to live, as if we were living in the end times, because we don't know when he will return. And in this short life, all Christians experience various tribulations and trials, and tests of faith. They come from without us, when the world and friends and neighbors and even family attempt to have us despise, denigrate, or deny Christ or his word and his gifts. They come when the devil tempts us to sin, to doubt the mercy of God and the grace of God, when we're tempted to rely not on him but on ourselves, They come when we bear our crosses in this life, as they become especially and increasingly heavy, and we are at times tempted to despair. All these trials and tribulations point us to that greater one, which is to come. But in the midst of these, my brothers and sisters, let us not despair, let us not lose hope, let us not doubt the mercy and grace of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For our Saviour is rich in grace and mercy, and he has called us each by name in the waters of holy baptism. And when we confess our sins to God, he is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we suffer now, because by God's grace we remain faithful amidst trial and tribulation, our Lord has promised us that because he has suffered for us, He has prepared a place for us in the new creation. We can take heart because our current suffering is temporary, but the gifts and blessings of God will have no end. As St. Paul has said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time cannot be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. For what awaits us after the great tribulation is the great consolation. It is when we will see in the vision of John. Now we participate only in this by faith. For while we are forgiven, we still live within the confines of fallen flesh and must still daily repent of our sins of weakness. We are united with the wider church throughout the world by faith and with the church in heaven, but we do not see this reality. We sing and join in the songs of saints and angels, but we do not see or hear this firsthand. We receive Christ in the word and in baptism and through the eating and drinking of his body and blood in the supper, but we do so by faith, trusting in his promise. All the promises of God we have now we ha- by faith. When the time comes that we are called to the Lord through death, we will experience the consolation that awaits us in a greater way yet it too is not the what is fully promised for while our souls are with christ and while we experience the beatific vision of being able to behold god in his glory we are still only part of ourselves for we were created with both a body and a soul and so when we die We receive a greater share in this consolation than we have now, because we are with Christ, but it is still not the fullness of what was promised. For the blessed dead who rest from their labours still wait with us the resurrection of the body, when both body and soul are reunited. At that time, when the Son of Man comes to judge the living and the dead, we who have trusted in Christ will be raised in bodies which have been fully cleansed of sin. Beloved, says the Apostle John, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. At that time, we will have bodies and souls fully cleansed from sin, and we will be recipients of our Lord's great salvation in full. At that time, all the Church, all believers from all times and in all places, will be gathered together as one, along with all the angelic hosts. Then we will hear with our ears the eternal angelic hymns. There, God will make his presence with us. St. John says in the Revelation, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. That phrase, he will shelter them with his presence, comes from a single word in Greek, a verb that has to do with setting up the family tent. It is the same verb used when John says in his gospel that the word dwelt among us. It is the promise of God to have a close and intimate relationship with his people whom he has saved, that of a kind and loving father who always is with and provides for and cares for his children. There we will be free from all that afflicts us now, because the world is also fallen." For there, in God's presence, the world will be restored how it was in the beginning. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. There, Christ, the Lamb of God, who laid down his life for us that we might be saved, will lead us to his Father, the source of all life. And we will partake in this eternal life, as God protects and cares for us after having prepared our salvation, procured it by Christ's life and death, delivered it to us by his word and sacraments, and kept us in this salvation by his gracious working. The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd, and he will guide us to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now, may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.